Holga. Check one two. Check check one check check one. Holga. What to see? To but twist. But Eldorado. 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 Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast for November 19th, 2010. My name is Michael Rosso, and I'm here in the studio with Dwayne Polkew. Hello, everyone. And John Fideli. Hey there. This is our regular roundtable discussion that we love to do. And before we get started, I want to say that this podcast is for people who love film. Love it. If you are just tuning in, first time ever, this is the podcast for people who love to shoot with film cameras and film. I don't mean it casually. I really, I mean it. I mean it. And I know sometimes we get serious here. Like we had a few episodes, went to the PDN. And you know, it's, you know, it's a corporate event. You have corporate entities there. I want to express to everyone out there how much fun it is to shoot with film. I mean, how exciting it is. It's exciting. It's fun. And sometimes I can't contain myself. And that is what I'm getting when I read letters from listeners. It's titillating. Who write in. They're mm. so excited. Yeah, catch the fire, man. Every month, John, more and more people are tuning in. Isn't that great? And finding us on mostly iTunes. Great. And becoming irate. <laughs> and, and now some people are finding... Some hatred. people are listening to us now on some kind, something called... Some pe- people are also listening... Uh, listening to us on something called <laughs> Zoom. What is Zoom? Z O O N. Apparently, it's some kind of Microsoft format. I don't know what Zoom is. Anyone out there know what Zoom is? Film photography podcast at gmail.com. Yo, Zoom. <laughs> I'll be there very soon. On today's show, we're going to talk. Will you come? Very soon. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about some things that we you know we've that have been going on this month. Yeah. I'm sure, we're going to touch upon a possible film and mm-hmm. some stuff that went on, went on at the PDN Photo I'm Expo. Sure we're going to talk about Polaroid. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, shooting with expired Polaroid film, what to expect. Hey, did you ever push any of this impossible, you know, like the the schmearing thing? Well, I have to tell you, John, I, we, yes, we have not gotten into yet fo- photo manipulation using right. Polaroid film. You know what the most famous Polaroid manipulated photo is? Tell me. The cover to Peter Gabriel's Melty Face album. Is it really? That's a Polaroid. That's a Polaroid? That was pushed. No that kidding. Was man- manipulated. You yeah. know that for a fact. Yeah, the guys at uh, Hypnosis did it. I had a calendar oh. and I looked at it. They had the original. The cover was in black and white, but the original photo was in color, and they printed the original photo uh, of the Polaroid. It's crazy looking. But today I'm going to talk about shooting with expired Polaroid film and <laughs> testing cameras. If you go to any yard sale in mm-hmm. the entire world, mm-hmm. you're going to find a Polaroid camera. Right. If you go on eBay, you're going to find thousands of Polaroid cameras. What to look for, what to ask when you're going to, you know, ask questions. If it says as is, you probably don't want to buy it. Well, I'm going to give some tips on that. I'm going to talk about, a little bit about, a little bit about the, what's known as, because it is, it's happening right now. Dwayne, it's happening right now. As we speak? The, the last days of Kodachrome. Yeah. I know, the countdown, December yeah. 31st. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to give an update on 110 film, which we haven't talked about in a long, long time. Oh, no kidding. And we're going to be talking... A little bit about plastic cameras, toy cameras. Plastic. We have some brand new giveaways this episode. Yay. And in this episode, speaking of plastic cameras, Holga. we're giving away a Holga TTL 120 camera, courtesy of our good friends at Freestyle. Freestyle. <laughs> and <to> it. <laughs> we're giving away 
10 rolls. Now, a few people who entered this contest, I think they think they're getting 10 rolls. Yeah. No. We're giving away one roll to 10 people. We're giving away 10 rolls. We're giving away... <laughs> a tenth of a roll. We're, We're cutting <laughs> it into, t- into t- 10 pieces. You'll get one frame. We're giving away one roll to 10 people. Okay. With that makes sense. processing, prints, and scans, courtesy of our good friends... Oh, one roll of what? Ektar 25. Ektar? This is Ektar 25 that expired in January of 1994. That's not that long ago. No. <laughs> and I have, I own a batch. Did you keep it on top of your heater? I, no, no. I own a batch. It's <laughs> no, been, in a glove box of his car. It's been cold stored. Uh, okay. Uh, for, we're gonna, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about expired film today. We'll talk about kind of this whole thing of how to store film, et cetera, and so forth. This film was apparently cold stored, so I took a roll out of the package. It's mm. a big p- Kodak package. Right. There's more than 10 rolls that I own, and I tested it in a Kodak Pony 2 camera. And? Great. <laughs> I sent you an image. It was yourself outside with the sunglasses on. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Crisp, right? Yeah. yeah. Colors, extraordinary. 15 years old, 16 years old, doesn't mean it's no Co- good. Kodak Ektar film. Any words on that, Dwayne? You know anything about Kodak Ektar film? It's the world's highest resolution in color negative film, Mike. Is it it's really? Extremely, yes, and it's extremely stable. That's why it looks so good. It's mm. extremely stable, as long as it was stored properly. You know, a lot of the folks that I buy film from on eBay are professional photographers who have freezers and refrigerators full of film, and they have more film than they could ever shoot. Well, who else would have all that film? It is supposedly stable in three respects. It's stable if it hasn't been exposed, meaning it's been sitting for a while. It's still good. It has stable latent image-keeping qualities, which means if you shoot it and you don't process it until a year later, you can't tell the difference. And it's stable just in terms of after it's processed, you know, the, the dyes don't fade. I have, you know, neg- color negative film from the 60s, and they look all brown and yeah. dingy because the dyes <clears throat> fade after a while. Right. But supposedly, Ektor doesn't, is not as susceptible to that happening. We have that, the stuff I just mentioned, and a lot more when we come back in, like, I don't know, 60 seconds. Okay. Hi, my name is Butcher. I'm Brain Chomper. And I'm Gambling Man. We're here to tell you about our show, The Killer Reviews Podcast. Each week we discuss movies new and old, talk about our lives, and every once in a while we'll have interviews like Fred Vogel from Tag Pictures, Daniel Harris of the Halloween franchise, and Charles Gibson, the special effects advisor for Terminator Salvation. We also have special episodes like our full review of the Alien Quadrilogy, a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective, and Clash of the Titans. And we're also very, very sexy. Especially you, gambling. Yeah... Our podcast is available at KillerReviews.com. And if you sign up for our forums between now and 2012, you enter a chance to win a romp in the sheets with Big Butch. Hey, it's Mike Rosso, and I'm here to tell you about The Pink Delicates and their full-length album, Who Stole the Quiet Day. You've heard lots of cuts here on the podcast, and you can check out their full-length album by going to cdbaby.com and searching pink delegates their music is right there ready for download purchase or buy the cd check out the pink delegates who stole the quiet day hey 
this is Michael Rosso, producer of the Film Photography Podcast. If you visit our newly revised homepage, filmphotographypodcast.com, you'll notice that in the upper right-hand corner there's now a donate button. This means we want you to get involved. You can donate a vintage camera, as long as it works, some film, or U.S. dollars, which we'll turn around and put right back into the podcast, filmphotographypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're back. Hello. And John, you know, I've been running mm-hmm. this spot for the Pink Delicates. Yes. You must know the quiet day. Yes. Ozzy did. It's been great. What's the big update on... Give me some Pink Delicates update. First of all, Pink Delicates is our quote-unquote house band. It's John mm-hmm. Fideli and Kevin Neblung. If you look in the archive, there's a show where there are guests. They performed live music. And most of our shows open and close with a Pink Delicate song. We got a ton more. What's the news, and uh, have any FPP listeners been, been listening to your album? Yes, they have. They've been downloading it all over the world, and that's, like, so cool. to get the um, We get the sheets from uh, CD Baby, who we go through, and, you know, you see uh, downloads from Austria and uh, England and Finland and all over the world. It's really cool to know that people are out there listening to this stuff. Really appreciate it. And we're meeting next week. We're going to be putting out a five- or six-song EP very shortly, probably next month. That's fantastic. Yeah. Are you going to release it on CD? Uh, probably not. Probably straight for iTunes. So for download. Will it be on CD Baby as well? Uh, well, I think so. They have um, they have a, a deal that we might uh, take advantage of. This is a get a EP, short run of like a hundred CDs. A new EP with five songs. Do you want to? You sure you don't want to pad hey, it? Hey, you know what we should do? What we should have a contest to have people send in images for the cover. Oh, <gasps> wouldn't that be great? Wow, that's a really spontaneous, awesome yeah. idea. Genius. Well, we're going to do it right now. A front cover and a back cover. Yeah, John, you, you, what do you need? Well, you know uh, you know what? I haven't even thought. In, maybe we better wait till next uh, month. Because maybe I better renege. I have to s- <laughs> wait, no. <laughs> we have to see what the songs, how they all come together and what the theme is like. And then we'll give people, uh, the, we'll, we'll name the album and then we'll ask people to give photos uh, that are, um, you know, that, that had that feel. Would I be able to perhaps persuade you guys to also put a few bonus tracks on, like maybe a few tracks that were, I guess, you know, <clears> that were made specifically for, for some films that were good tracks? Sure. I think you guys should put an album out. Well, we got it. We got enough for like three or four albums, to tell you the truth. So. Well, you know, I think that. But you know, if you listen to the Who Stole the Quiet Day, we don't just slap these things together. Uh, we we try and tell a story. We try and get songs to blend into one another. It's a long process. There are no ABBA covers. Not yet, but hey, there's a great idea. Ensign Queen. Mm, or Fernando. Good song. Yeah. I don't think I could sing that high. But, um, Do you sing it or should you just play the drums? Uh, I, like I, I played uh, synthesizers and keyboards and oh, you really drums. Were. Yeah. I received a letter from Derek. Now, Derek, he, well, firstly, Derek donated 50 US dollars to Film Photography wow. Podcast. Wow. Thanks, Derek. To cool. help keep us going. All right. And uh, I want to just let everyone know out there that all the donations of film, cameras, U.S. funds is greatly, greatly appreciated. And everything goes back into running know it. FPP. If you go to our site, filmphotographypodcast.com, you will see there's a donate button. If you happen to have some extra cash, like you know, money bags, sometimes people bury money. 
Maybe an aunt left it to you. You just send it on over. Because <laughs> you know we're giving, you know, we're giving it all back. We give stuff away every month. Yes. Great stuff. Now we have, we're giving away three items per month. It's oh, great. We're going to announce that it's very shortly. It's my favorite shortly. part of the, uh, of the month. I is it really? You. It is. Derek was kind enough to uh, donate uh, some U.S. funds. We also accept cameras that work, film cameras and mm-hmm. film. And he wrote a letter to us, and he had a question. Uh, well, first he said, I want to send you a note by way of appreciation for what you guys are doing with the podcast. I really enjoyed the latest edition, especially the outside broadcast. And what great news that it's going weekly for the next couple of, well, he says months, but I hope he doesn't take the funds back. (laughs) Wait a minute. We're weekly in November 2010 only. Daily in December. (laughs) Daily. Could you imagine? Every other day. There are podcasters who podcast daily. That's insane. I was listening to an episode from February when you were talking about scanners. This is something I'm very interested for one particular reason. I use the Silverfast software with the Epson V750. I find this gives better scans than the Epson bundle software. Now, that's interesting because, uh, and Dwayne was in on this. We did some scans. You brought some negatives in and some positives in, I think. Mm-hmm. And we didn't use the Silver, Silverfast. We used the, the, just the Epson uh, software. That's what I've been using myself in the Epson V700. However, is it going back to the letter? I often wonder why I shoot with so many different film stocks as I end up tweaking colors in a radical way mm. to achieve the results I want. So what Derek's saying is that... Hey, man, why am I using all these film stocks when I basically am doing all this tweaking in Photoshop or in Silverfast anyway? Right. He says, first of all, I use Silverfast proprietary negative profiling. Then I mess around with the settings within Silverfast before moving to Photoshop and changing some more. Yikes. With the results that maybe I could use any film type to achieve the same end result. Mm. That's, uh, this is the first time actually someone's kind of presented this to us. Mm. Well, it's true, though, because, right. you know, the, um, I was talking to, <clears throat> at the PDN show, the gentleman from Freestyle, whose name escapes me. Eric Joseph. And he was talking about how uh, there are so many different Photoshop plugins that contain 10 or 15 or 20 different steps simply to mimic the way a particular type of film looks. Mm. So it does raise kind of an interesting question. I mean, you know, you're shooting a particular type of film, you're tweaking it, or people are shooting digitally and they're, they're going through that, uh, that sequence of steps to duplicate it. So, you know, you, you kind of say, why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, I, I guess the question back to Derek is, well, why are you doing so much manipulation? I mean, it, it could be just your style, which is fine. Right. And I've had a conversation with the folks at Impossible Project and other folks in the business asking such questions as, when I scan my impossible Polaroid pictures, what is your opinion on manipulation? When I say manipulation, I mean adjusting the, uh, right. the uh, contrast. Mm-hmm. And in some of the impossible color film, actually adjusting some of the color use so that the representation of the scan looks better. Hmm. just looks better. And the answer is there is no answer. It's really up to you, the artist. Mm-hmm. I guess there are a lot of variables involved if you're going to display your work. Well, and you always have the original. If you're going to display your original Polaroids, then maybe you'd want it to match a little bit better. Well, the first time we went to the the Impossible Project in February of last year, they had huge, huge prints from original Polaroids. And they had the originals there, too. Yeah, and they looked very much the same. Yes, they did. So, like you said, it, it depends on your intent. Yeah. Look, personally, uh, same chase, thing. You could chase your tail around forever and ever, it seems. The same thing applies to, I received, there's, a, there's actually a thread in our Flickr group regarding cropping. 
is cropping okay? Is it okay to crop your picture? And some photographers are saying, well, no, you're supposed to scan or display your entire frame. And some schools require that you actually display your entire frame because then, you know, from a compositional perspective, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're getting what you shot and composed. But that suggests that every single picture yeah. that you take will have the composition that you desire in the viewfinder, yeah. and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah. What if sometimes you have a 50 millimeter lens and you, you see something in there that you can't run up real fast and get, and you have to just capture the moment? And what if you just, you don't even like pre-visualize, and what if you don't really look through the viewfinder carefully or mount a camera on a tripod? Yeah. You just kind of shoot from the hip. Yeah, Mike, what about that? You know, you don't even know what you're going to get. You're yeah. like, you know what, that didn't work out, I'm going to crop that out. Yeah. I, believe me, so many photographers throughout history have cropped their pictures. I mean, come on. So many of them have. Well, par- really. Apparently, uh, hugely famous, successful photographers have cropped their pictures. Okay. Yeah. Well, my it's feeling my feeling is that, that you know, the fun of photography is not to uh, get yourself in a mindset that you have to do something a certain way. Definitely. You don't have to do anything. So, Definitely. But there are Derek, no rules, man. No rules but, but, in the world at all, ever again. But Derek's, <laughs> but Derek's question is about the film stocks. Well, maybe by doing so much manipulation, you're not getting the most out of the film stock because you're doing well, so much tweaking. That's a point. I mean, I tend to tweak... As little as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. If it's a, just an image, if it's an image that's not for a commercial purpose, um, meaning like for for like yeah. a DVD cover box or something that's yeah. not commercial, where it's going to a commercial agency. Now, see, that makes perfect sense. But you know, I mean, I try to I try to lay off. As far as the silver fast versus the Epson bundled, I found them to be you know similar, and I don't do a lot of manipulation, so I've never explored the silver fast. And when we were scanning your uh, negatives or transparencies, Dwayne. Uh, in the scanner software, we, we, there were levels. Levels this, and curves, yeah. And the scanner is going to see the film a little bit differently than when you hold it up. So mm-hmm. you do an, we did an adjustment on the, the contrast levels. Yes. It came up with a, uh, like a vector scope. What do you call that? Yeah, vector scope. Came up with a scope. Histogram. Yes, it did. It came up with a histogram. And what we did was set the white and black points. Otherwise, it would have been too flat of a scan. Right. So I, you know, I did that with Dwayne for his images that I scanned on my V700, and I, I do it a lot on my images as well. I very rarely just scan it flat because I don't think that's a proper representation either because the scanner, the scanner is interpreting your film, and different scanners will interpret it a different way, and that's why the mm-hmm. histogram is there. Right. So I don't know if I answered your question, Derek, but it was a great question. I think the, the answer is to do whatever you, you feel, man. Should, it should, all he, hang out. should he use the cheapest film he could find and not worry well, about it? Yeah, well, film has different characteristics, <clears throat> and the thing of it is you have that characteristic built into that film if you want to mm-hmm. have it and exploit it. But if you want to tweak it, you have the ability to do that as well. Yeah, I wouldn't waste my time on expensive film if you're going to be in there. But, you know, then again, you know, cheap film may not have the qualities that uh, lend itself to being exploited in Photoshop right. so nicely. John, do you think... No, I don't. Mm. <laughs> Dwayne, do you think that we should announce our new contest at the beginning of a show, or does it matter? Do it now. <laughs> somewhere in between. It's somewhere some... different every show. Oh, because maybe some people don't want to listen to the whole show to figure yeah, out. Yeah, I know. That's it's what true, I'm saying. Right? You put it somewhere different, so this way they have to listen. Well. <laughs> John kindly brought some treats in for us to nosh on. Uh, nobody's eating them but me. Hey, uh, quickly, I want to thank some folks... 
who sent in, uh, you know, we get letters all the time, but two folks sent in actual postcards with their images on it. Uh, one is from Steve. He says, love the podcast. Great work. Steve at hawkinsphoto.com. Now, this could be hankinsphoto.com or hawkins, I don't know. H-A-N-K-I-N-S photo.com or hankins. H- what do you think this says, John? That's an N. It's an N. Yeah, it's an N. Nice black and white picture of a waterfall. Second postcard is from Ashley Hoff. Uh-huh. Ashley Hoff says, thanks for the film. Oh, I guess I sent Ashley some film. The Let's photo see the handwriting. Was, the photo was taken on my father's farm. This is the back room of the shed built by my grandfather wow. and hardly touched in 35 years. Wow. Shot on Ilford HPS Plus, developed in ID11. HP5. Okay. Will you read this? I don't know. Shot on Ilford HP5 Plus, developed in ID11 and printed on printed in Old Farmer's Shed. Hey, I want to thank Ashley for sending a postcard in. It's really awesome. I, wanna, I just want to thank you. You know, I forgot to mention it out there to everyone out there how much fun I have doing the FPP. With these two guys, these two knuckleheads. FPP, yeah, you know me. I'm going to talk really fast about uh, the state of affairs of 110 film. 110 film is considered a uh, mini format. Is that correct, Dwayne? Is 110 film considered a micro format? It's a smaller one. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, recently, uh, my my aunt Linda gave me a a film camera that uh, used to belong to her. Oh, really? It's a 1972 Kodak Pocket Instamatic camera. No, I'm always amazed that people have the original boxes for these cameras. So am I. If you notice this camera, John, it has like a hippie, you know... Let the sun shine. No. Aquarius a, type of zone. It has a very uh, Godspell kind of design. Yeah, there's a, there's a dove with something in its mouth or something. What is this? Oh, no, that's a mountain? No, I, think that's a, I think you were right the first time. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, there it is. Yeah, it's a dove with a leaf in it. Yeah. What year it's did the that Peace Camera. A 1972. Yeah, it's the Peace Camera. It's a Kodak Pocket Instamatic. Dick Van Dyke used to do the commercials. Dick oh. Van Dyke? It's the Kodak Pocket Instamatic Camera. They fall over a chair. <laughs> and, did you uh, do it in a bad, bad Cockney accent? With that, yes, <laughs> with that camera came this. Um, in order to avoid red eye, they, they developed these... Extenders really? for oh, the Magic really? Cube. Is that uh, really? This yep. is the first technology for reducing red eye. Yeah. No kidding. Let me see that. And I have a number of 110 cameras in front of me. I still shoot 110. I'm putting the red eye adapter, the flash extender, it's called. Yeah, the new red eye techniques I don't like at all. The thousand flashes before the flash. I am remembering this now, and it's 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 showing, giving me a visual that I haven't experienced in 40 some years. Seeing this for for real, Dwayne. Yeah. I remember yeah, I mean, this is 70s. the way we, we grew this, up. This never flew, this, uh, this idea of the little stem. It, it just didn't really catch on. Really? It came uh, standard with, with the camera. Well, I just think people didn't like people it. People didn't like it. It's too, it's, it. You can't put it in your pocket. No. Well, if you break it down, you can put it in two pockets. I mean, come on. See, we need a model. We need to take pictures of something prettier than ourselves. Now, Dwayne, look at the camera. Look at the, look at the name of the camera in the front, Dwayne. Can we get Brett Favre in here to take pictures of him? JCPenney 11. It's, it's J, this is the JCPenney 11. Made specifically for JCPenney. One ten, yeah, 110 camera. I also have a Vivitar camera with a built-in flash called the Vivitar 600 camera. These are all 110 cameras. Oh, there's a little red thing popped down. What does that mean? You're out of film? That means, uh, that, you've, that means you need to you know, go to the next frame. Oh, really? That means you need to go to the next you frame. You need to rewind it, or, yeah. or forward it, yeah. rather. So we're uh, shooting off some uh, 110 film with the JCPenney 11 camera. It's funny. And uh, the sad news about 110, well, it's not really sad. It's, it's just, you know, the news. The news on 110 is that both Fuji and Kodak stopped manufacturing 110 film in 2009. Didn't wow. have nearly the hoopla that the Kodak did. No. As a matter of fact, we had to actually call 
Kodak to find out if it was discontinued. I walk into CVS and they have a pretty big section of, of film stuff, mostly disposable cameras, but they also sell film. But yes. CVS film. What's, what uh, format films do they have? 35 and 110. No, you're lying. <laughs> I thought I saw 110. Maybe it was just one of those uh, cameras. I'm not lying. I may be, <laughs> I may be misinformed. <laughs> you will also find that they have uh, APX a, they also have APS, which is no, known as Advantix. Okay, what's the that? APS system? It's similar to 35 millimeter film. Yeah, it was a film that was developed after 35 millimeter mm. to make it easier to load into cameras. Really, this happened, you know, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, right before digital technology, and you know, before it know it, digital technology was here, and I don't think a lot of people uh, adopted the APS Never caught them. technology. Really big no. We're going to talk about it in a future episode. Uh, okay. A listener uh, donated an APS camera to us. I love APS. Two listeners donated two APS cameras to us. Love they it. look like little digital cameras. Really? Love, They're love very it. cool. Love, love it. They're made by Canon. <coughs> but 110 film in 400 speed, 100, 100 speed, 200 speed. Up until last year, Fuji was making a beautiful 100 speed, 110 film. Kodak was making a 200 speed and a 400 speed, 110 film. And uh, that has ceased. You can still find this film on sites like The Frugal Photographer, The Four Corner Store. Well, who, who do you think is making CVS film? Kodak or Fuji. I don't know that for a fact, but I could guess. It would have to be either one of them, right? You would guess as well, right, Dwayne? Coding color films is a real complicated process, and it's got to be somebody who has their technology nailed. The news is that uh, I understand that out of Europe, a black and white film for 110 cartridges, 110 film, hmm. black and white, really? is coming that That's freestyle will carry. Interesting. Where's it coming from? I would guess Europe. Croatia? I, w- I, w- I would guess that uh, our friend uh, Eric Joseph... Czech Republic, maybe. ...went over there and uh, getting some 110 cartridges loaded. I have to confirm wow. this. Because the countries where it's being, they're being made is, I believe he told me, England, Germany, Croatia, and the Czech Republic. Hmm. And a lot of them are older. They're older... Kodak factories, actually. Really? Actually, older Kodak coding facilities, and someone bought them when Kodak decided to uh, discontinue or cut back on their sensitized material product line. And, you know, they just keep it running. It's amazing. It's interesting. It's a, uh, it's a weird business to get into, I would well, imagine, you know, at this time. Yeah, it's like you're either the first one in or the last one out, and these people are just like, you know, we're not going to be, we're just not going to let it die. Thank God. I'm glad they can still do it. They make paper. Mm hmm. Make film and as Freestyle mentioned when we interviewed them at the PDN show, uh, when everyone was getting out of film, they were getting into it because they felt that someone's going to stay in. Yeah, I mean this whole concept of fil- film versus digital. I mean we kind of confirmed it by talking to Kodak and Freestyle that it's, it's you know what it's done. It's, it's finished. It's through. Yeah. It's all the dust is settled. Mm-hmm. One company's making film and they're starting to make a lot of money at it. Then the other companies will start to well, get into the business again. Kodak. I don't know about that. I mean, to make film is like... I think they're going to be European companies. Yeah, you've got to, have, you to gotta have that huge plant. So I'm happy. I'm, I'm going to confirm. I'm happy to hear that there may be a new black and white film stock for 110. As you know, I'm a 110 enthusiast. If Whoa, you're a 110 guy. If you recall, last year I had the, uh, the little uh, 110 SLR camera. It's a really fun format, and uh, uh, video editor Joe Kolbeck, friend of FPP, an occasional guest, uh, he's been going to the city on the weekend, so he's been stopping at the studio. And I'm like, hey man, what, you going to be shooting some stuff this weekend? He's like, I don't know, you know, I don't think I want to bring my Canon. I'm like, here, take this. I gave him the pocket camera. Right, pocket a, camera. Pocket! Has a flash built in, it's a Vivitar 600. By the way, if you go on ebay.com, you will see 110 cameras. Yeah. 
And, you know, you could pick these up, minimum bid, 99 cents, wow. a few bucks. Film is a bit rare on eBay, and um, film is not cheap for 110 on eBay. That's, that's a shame. Yeah, because nobody stores it like they do 35, because nobody's working professionally in 110. I've talked about this camera maybe a year or so ago. Oh, the Pentax. Oh, so cute. The Pentax Auto 110 camera. It's a spy camera. It's adorable. It is great, isn't it? It's adorable. I have three lenses for this. It's the VW Bug. Really? You can switch lenses? Yeah, you can switch lenses. This is a single lens. That's 110? Yeah. That's amazing. This is an amazing... It's very cute. Amazing little... What's, what lens is on there? Well, on, he, on the Pentax 110 right now, I have a 25 millimeter lens. But because wow. it's 110 film, Dwayne, I think mm. it may be the equivalent of a 50. Right, because the film plane is smaller. Yeah. Also comes with a little Pentax flash. It's so cute. Look at that. Almost as big as the camera. What do you think, Dwayne? It's amazing. It's like a little, little teeny tiny 35 millimeter SLR camera. That is the definition of a toy camera. No, it's not. It, but it looks like a toy. Is there film in here? No, we can put film in there if you want. I mean, look at that. It looks like a miniature camera. Not like what you would expect a 110 camera to look like. Not that rectangular Well, box. I would say most people don't expect uh, a, a 110 camera to look that spectacular. Mm -hmm. When I found this camera, I was astonished. Looks like a 35 millimeter camera shrunk down in the uh, fly machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was astonished when the I found this camera machine. because it is a, a totally pro camera that um, has lenses, different lenses, and the each lens is 2.8. Mm -hmm. What happens is the camera changes the shutter speed. Oh, I see. Automatically. So you can only adjust that then. Yeah. Dwayne, would you like a wide angle lens? Yes. What do you have? Like 10? Let's see what I got, Let's see what I got here lens wise. Here's an 18 millimeter lens. 18 millimeter. That's probably like a 30, 35. I also have a. Look at that. That's huge. I, I don't know what I have. That here. lens is bigger than the camera. What do I have here? What is this? Oh, this is a. That I also doesn't have go on that a camera. 70 millimeter lens. That goes on that camera. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Put that on the camera. I want to see that. you got to post a picture of that on the uh, FPP website. I will. 70 millimeter lens, and I also have a 37 millimeter lens. 70 millimeter lens is crazy. Is that wider, Dwayne? It is a bit. It, it still has a slightly... A bit. For those just tuning in... It isn't super wide angle. It's maybe like a 35 millimeter, 40 millimeter equivalent on a 35 millimeter SLR. Okay. Wow. It seems a shame to not like shoot with it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let me get a roll of film. Check it out with that flash. I went to my uh, film. I went to my film fridge, which I, I call my film vault. Oh my god! John is uh, shooting with his uh, hipterphone. Hipstamatic. What's it called, John? Hipstamatic. I, I have. Uh, I've been buying. I've been buying 110 film uh, wherever wherever I could find it. I have a roll in front of me. It's Konica VX200, 24 exposure. Let's uh, let me load that. Let me load that baby. Want to keep that, that lens on? It's an incredible lens. Look at how you can't. I, I'm a little too close for you to focus, but look at towards the window. So you bought this whole outfit, this 110 Pentax camera, and all of these lenses as an outfit on eBay. I did. I bought the whole outfit. And how much was it? I bought it about two years ago, Dwayne. I don't even remember how much it was. I would guess that it was uh, probably a little over $100. Putting the Pentax flash. It's very cute. Dwayne is now fiddle faddling with the Pentax Auto 110 camera. Very nice. I'll shoot John too. Dwayne, I think you like that camera. Love it. Dwayne is now shooting John Fideli. Pentax Auto 110 camera. You have to get pretty far back because it's a telly. This is, uh, what would you say about this camera, Dwayne? It has every nice attribute of a well-made, solidly built, almost professional level 35mm SLR, but it's, it's a compact, compact camera, you know? It has the heft, the feel. You can see the lenses are coated. It definitely looks like something James Bond would have used in the 60s. You can see Sean Connery taking pictures with that camera. John, you want to shoot with it? Yeah. So that's the 110 update uh, film. Currently not made. 
plenty available. If you if you really are committed to finding film, just keep an eye on just about every eBay auction. Also check eBay auctions in other countries, U- eBay UK, eBay Germany, Japan. This is, this came from America. Yeah. This, uh, yes, the Pentax Auto One Ten. I bought the entire outfit. You got to cock it twice. 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 That's the way it is. Oh, because it's so tiny. There is a sensor in the camera that senses the film speed of the cartridge. So, yeah, take another. Yeah, take another. Okay. If you're shooting with if you're shooting with 400 ASA 110 film, then you will need to clip the end of the cartridge, the little tab off, so that the camera senses that it is 400 speed. Really? Ye- years ago, John, the 400 speed cartridge was a little less wide. Really? So that cameras that had sensors would sense that it was 400 based on the cartridge. I see. Now all cartridges are standard, meaning that if you're using 400 speed in a camera like the Pentax mm. Auto 110, you need to clip it. Where do you find that information? The Google. The Google. Go, go, go. Clip it. Why? Because you took you took a roll and it came out all goofy, and then you. No, were like, I, I did. I did a lot of. Uh, I did an awful lot of research on this camera when I first bought it. Oh, I turned the flash off, Mike. I got it. Thank you. And that's the 110 update. That's pretty cool. Well, you let us know when that film comes out, won't you? Oh, I will. I'm also going to post some images. There are images posted, hopefully, by the time this show is up. What show? <laughs> Let's do a giveaway. Yay! Right now, we're going to pick 10 winners Woo-hoo! for the amazing Sharp sharp photo and portrait out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Spencer came up with the say, idea. Say that again. Sharp photo and portrait in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Claire, the moment I met you, I swear. Gilbert O'Sullivan. Yeah. There you go. We're going to now dump these in. Oh, the big bag? You don't have to if you don't want to. Here, let me just. Nah, I don't. I'll be sh- <clears throat> Yeah, I'll pick the first one. Okay, we're going to do this express because, you know, we have ten, we have ten winners. Okay. Here, hold the bag. We have ten winners? Hold the bag. Ten winners. We're picking ten winners. And the first winner is... Heather Martell. Very nice. Doesn't say where she's from. Oh, uh, Bozeman... Montana. Montana. Oh, very good, Dwayne. Dwayne, who's our second winner? The second winner is Michael C. Fortner, and he is from... I don't know. Michael is a regular FPP listener and uh, frequently posts on our Facebook page. John is picking another winner. I'll pick that. And the next winner is Randy... Oh, Babajitas? Yes. Randy Babajitas. That is our friend, Randy, who is in uh, California, and he went to the Pat Sansone signing on the West Coast and shot Polaroids for us. Randy. All right. So right back at you, Randy. Yeah, right back at you, Randy. The next winner is Mr. Ryan Latham or Letham, and uh, I don't know where he's from. I'm reading this very quickly. I don't, I don't see. But congratulations, Ryan. Ryan, congratulations. He has a Olympus Trip 35. Ryan does. He's gonna run. I hope you run the Ektar 25 through your Olympus Trip 35. And the next is from Endicott, New York. Ronald Musio. Sorry, Ronald. Ronald Musio. What's Ronald have to say? Been shooting since the mid 60s, and he's had various 35 cameras. And today he shoots 120. Roll film. Uh, he has a Nikon F6 and a Hasselblad 503CW. Very nice. And he loves the podcast. Oh, thank you. The next winner is, and please forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but it seems to be George Chistol. And uh, he is from UC Berkeley physics grad student at the Molecular Biophysics Bustamante Lab. Wow. And, uh, he sounds small. Originally from Moldova, Eastern Europe. So thank you so much. 
John, what do you got? Uh, our next winner is Thomas Noise. Don't know where Thomas is from. What's but, Thomas saying? Uh, he says, I bought a setup for a dark room, but I've yet to get the chemicals and such to process my film or make prints. If in future episodes you could push promote that more, maybe I would get the confidence and make myself push the button Dwayne, to get that stuff in there. This, about uh, doing some developing right here in the studio. Right, and maybe even taping it and putting it on YouTube. Yep. Here's another one. Thomas really wants you to do it. Right. So congratulations, Thomas. Next winner. This winner is Mr. Nicholas Raypack. And Nicholas is from Penn State University, where he is a, a, currently a freshman. And he says, if I win this contest, I will be shooting the role of Ektar on my OM2N. However, the earliest I will be shooting it will be in January, as I have about 10 rows of Kodachrome to finish by 1231. So naturally, he has to do that. I understand. Uh, we understand. Congratulations, and thank you for entering the contest, Nick. Very nice. And our next winner is Alexander Moore. And Alexander says he's been primarily shooting black and white film, and uh, this will give him a, a a footing into the color world that he has yet to explore. Pull that winner up, John. Close to your face. Uh, and from the first time I've heard about these super slow films, I've been dying to try some. So now, Alexander, this is your chance. Another dream fulfilled by the FPP. <laughs> I think we have one more. And who is our last winner? The last winner is Mr. Jeffrey Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey writes, guys, I'd love to shoot a roll of that Actar 25. I have a new 90mm lens for my 35mm camera, and I'd love to try the look of that film. Mm. Your podcast is great. Keep it up. And don't get into those goofy internet photo wars like digital versus film. Darkroom printing versus inkjet. <laughs> Just keep talking about what you like to do with film and forget about it. That's Keeping right. Keeping up with the online blather. Good That's advice. That's what makes your podcast unique, Jeff Glass. Thanks, Jeff. Thank appreciate, you, Jeff. Appreciate the input. I mean, let's just make sure that we have ten. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six. No, 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 ten. <laughs> Unbelievable. Ten, humana, humana, humana. ten winners. Each winner will get one roll of Kodak Ektar film and free processing, prints, and scans courtesy of... Our good friends. Our good friends, Sharp, Photo, and Portrait. The entry, we had a lot of entries. Yeah. A lot. Did. A lot. A lot. A ton. What? Let's do our next giveaway. Last broadcast, we gave away the book, Pat Sansone's 100 Polaroids. Mm. We just gave away the... Uh, Film processing, and now... Now, this is a biggie. Yeah, this is a biggie. This is the, this is the Holga 120 TTL camera, mm. through the lens, 120 camera, donated to us, courtesy of Freestyle Photographic Supplies, and yes, Dwayne, they're in Hollywood, California. Mm. I want one. Dwayne does want one. After looking at the plastic cameras book, I, I kind of do want one. I, you know what, Dwayne? I, I think you would thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, you know what? I would love to see some photos you take with the toy camera. John, really, like, really jumble them up. What does that do? We want, we want the winners to be picked at random. Okay, we're, we're picking a winner of the whole of the camera right now. Oh, here's a good one. And the winner is... Terry Christian. Dear folks at FPP, my name's Terry and I'm an aspiring photographer in Memphis, Tennessee, the land of Elvis and blues music, the international home of 
pork barbecue mm. and about as far away from New Jersey as far as culture is concerned. I grew up in this land and was provided with 110 Polaroid one-step cameras as a kid. Not exactly inspiring. A couple of years ago, I had the first of what will probably be several midlife crises. I bought my first DSLR and nearly went back to college to study photography. Mm. I decided to teach myself and jumped headfirst into film this year. All right. Teaching myself black and white developing and starting to acquire vintage cameras. I confess to having a fetish mm. for medium format and TLRs. I have a Mamiya C3 and a Yashica D already. And amazingly enough, I haven't bought a Holga yet, so the Holga TLR you're offering ah, sounds right up my alley. Beautiful. I just recently discovered your podcast, and I've been really enjoying it during my commute to and from work. It keeps me inspired to try new things. Well, here's something to inspire you even further, Terry. <laughs> yes! Thank you, Terry. Just a Christian all the time. See, it's good to, like, you know, hear a little backstory. Like, you know, this guy's really into winning this camera. Congratulations to all of our winners. And... And a special thanks to the folks that helped make... Make these dreams possible. Absolutely. Freestyle Photographic. Freestyle. Those are great guys. We talked to them at the PDN. They're Good really, guy. really committed to film. Good guys. Good guys. Good guy. Our new friend, Spencer. So support them as well. Yes. Yes. A lot, a lot of our listeners are... Uh, freestyle oh, that's good. customers. Our good friends over at Sharp Photo and Portrait in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Spencer, I'm really thrilled that we did this giveaway, and I'm, I'm happy yeah. that I had the Ektar 25 in my fridge vault. Please give them some of your business as well. And we're going to talk, since we're talking about, we just gave away a Holga, let's talk a little bit about plastic cameras. Let's. We are doing a giveaway, the newest giveaway, which we announced last time, but we're going to announce again, is the book, Plastic Cameras, by Michelle Bates. Great book. Yes. It's a great jam-packed. It's jam-packed. It has, not only is it information about the history of plastic cameras, the various plastic cameras, but there are galleries by people who've shot with plastic cameras, mm. but not like brand, like today, 2010, right. since the 60s. Right. And it's kind of incredible, because I don't think most people realize that Plastic cameras have been around that long. And you've got to see some of the images. The first camera I ever used in my life was in 1968. I was a Weebelo, or a Cub Scout. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, uh, a contest, and the, the winner who sold most old English peanut brittle got a Boy Scout camera. Oh, my God. And it's a, it's a plastic camera that took uh, roll film. And I have all these photos I took in the 1960s when I went on vacation like to Arizona. Yeah. And, uh, and stuff. They look like the images they, in they there? They do. They look like this. And I, I didn't like them at the time because they were kind of soft and fuzzy. Right. But now, you know, looking at these photos and you realizing appreciate them that's back the then. very quality that people want to go exactly. after. Exactly. That's what you want out I of these cameras. I kind of look at those photos with, with fresh eyes. They're, they're kind of one-of-a-kind things. They Wait, really I are. One-of-a-kind images. I think that you're starting to have an appreciation for, you know, such Thanks. a thing as, as, you know, out of focus a little fuzzy, because the same thing happened to me with Polaroid. When Polaroid announced the end of their film in 08, I just shrugged my shoulders. I was like, oh, whatever. Who shoots with that anyway? <laughs> and I always thought, you know, oh my God, ah, blurry. And 
you know what? The blurriness has nothing to do with the film. It's the cameras. Right. Well, you know why? One of the reasons why is photographers get, get, get caught into the, uh, the resolution and sharpness trap. With I was reading uh, this article about this photographer, and he, he would literally buy 20 different lenses of the same focal length. Because what he would do is then he would test every single lens, get really? the sharpest one, and get rid of the other 19. That's and ridiculous. That's, that's insanity. That's that insanity. That's, that's Everything is going to be the sharpest thing, and it, which is great for certain things. But you know, when you look at a book like this, and you realize just the beauty and presence and mood and just the, the aura that some of these photographs have, you, it really has kind of opened my eyes. It truly opened my eyes that that sharpness is not everything. No, you get some really stunning, amazing photos. There, some of them are just beautiful. The I mean, fact I just, I just wish I took them. They're so nice. I'm like, wow, look at that. Life is not sharp. No, it's not. It isn't one dimensional either. Right. You know, and it's sort of I like mean, look at this. I enjoy Gorgeous. shooting with so many cameras right now because some cameras I pick up. I know that I'm going to yield a nice, crisp, sharp image like my Canon L lenses. I mean, they're beautiful. I love shooting with them. But at the same time, when I run out the door and I grab, you know, Kodak Pocket and Stomatic, I know what I'm going to get. And I love that, too. You're, you're so right. There are, there are, I think, a lot of photographers hung up on the whole sharpness game, especially now with digital technologies. Yeah, digital Everything technology. is about sharp. Yeah, but everybody takes these beautiful digital images and then manipulates it in Photoshop to make it soft and Well, it's because crazy. then... Lack of sharpness becomes an afterthought. Like it's a creative decision I'll do later rather than mm. when you take it. If you would like to own this book, we're giving away a copy. It's called Plastic Cameras, Toying with Creativity by Michelle Bates. And you need to just send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Include your, your name, your address, and a little bit about yourself and what yes. you do. About why you might be interested in getting this book. And we're going to do a drawing on this in sometime in December. I'm telling you, it uh, inspired me to maybe go out and buy my, myself a Holga. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, John, you, you really shouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> Christmas is coming up, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get so. You, get, you catch my drift. Uh, really quick, John, but before we uh, uh, move on, I did want to talk to you a little bit about recently yeah. John has uh, been given a uh, Olymp- Olympus Stylus Epic. Yes, I have. What is your experience? Now, this is not a toy camera. No, it's not a toy camera. I love it. You love it? Love it. It's portable. It's immediate. I mean, um, everything I took has been in really good focus. It's an automatic camera. Um, but the only problem I had is I put a roll of 160 in, and the images came out a bit overexposed. Oh, the Olympus Stylus Epic, it, uh, it's, you know, the, the, the camera, it's a 35-millimeter mm. camera. It senses the, the ASA. Right. And we think that maybe... He must have rated it for 100. Yeah. Uh, he was shooting a roll of... Uh, Portra 160, mm-hmm. and I don't think the camera registers 160. No, probably not. You think it registered it as 100? It must have. I mean, because everything was totally blown out. But you shot other rolls of film? I shot a 400, two 400 uh, rolls of 400, and they came out beautiful, especially with the open shutter effect, because we did oh. a show, and I did some shots with the trailing. Nice. There's an effect, and it's the effect is... I love, I love it when a manufacturer designs an effect for one reason, mm-hmm. and a photographer utilizes it to achieve something different. The effect was designed... What it does, Dwayne, is you take the camera, and you shoot at night, let's say. Let's say you're in New York City. And when you fire it at this setting, I think it's called night setting. Right. It fires it with the flash, but keeps the shutter open another half a second, maybe, yeah. so that your background isn't just black. Right. And... If your subject is aware of this, you could kind of have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, with light trailing. Yes, with light trailing and things like that. The camera also boasts a wide 2.8 yeah. uh, f-stop. Really? Look at me. I've got an f-point. <laughs> hey, what's, what's your f-stop? 
F4. F4. It's a beautiful pocket. We gave one away. Pocket. We gave one away a few months ago. Acquired a second one, which I gave to John. Because I thought, Mm. John, a guy on the go, tell me, he has the iPhone. You're sick of shooting with your iPhone because it yields the same. Mm. (laughs) Well, no. You know, the Hipstamatic has a lot of... a lot of variations with as far as films and lenses and stuff. So that's always fun. But, you know, you're not always looking to have a shot like that for your everyday photos. Right. So my other go-to camera on the go was another small Sony digital camera. The stylus uh, camera is a little bit bigger than that, so I don't even bring my digital camera with me anymore. I bring my 35. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am about that. I really am. Now, do you enjoy using the uh, Olympus more than the digital camera? Yes. Does it yield a better image for you? Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, you know, I miss the chimping. (laughs) Sad to say, because you know what you're getting. You're like, oh, do I need to take another one? But you know what? It's great to shoot with the camera. Now that I've seen the results, that I know I'm going to get just as good results with, and it'll be on film. I bet you people don't even realize you're not shooting digital. The colors are awesome. Does anyone even... even? No. It, it really looks like... I swear to God, a couple times after I, I brought it to a family function, and I've taken a picture, and people were like, oh, let me see. They wanted me to turn it around so they could see the image. I'm like, this is a film camera. And they're like, a film camera? Really? Oh, why? Okay, and they just walked away. Yeah, oh, like, okay. They're like, why? You'll see when I get the photos back in two months. <laughs> Right. And you currently, you've been what? <laughs> have you been CVSing it up or have you been yeah, going to the Clark? N- I've done my last CVS. I'm not Why? Do it there. Uh, it's convenient and it's fast and I like the immediacy of it, but I'm going to start doing some online stuff with either Clark or the other people that uh, oh, you promote know, I, the program. I forgot to mention that 110 film, that's a big question. Where do you get 110 film processed? Hey, Mike, where do you get 110 film processed? <laughs> Thank you, Dwayne. Uh, the answer is, and this is not the, the only answer, there are mm. other places as well, but for me... Uh, you have a choice of Dwayne's Photo in Parsons, Kansas, Blue Moon Camera in Oregon, or Clark Color Labs, mm. which is the the old timey mail order. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to get the the in, in Sunday newspaper used to have their little. I gotta get some more Clark Photo things. Yeah. I have some. I'm by sure the way. you have hundreds of them. In the old days, Kodachrome, you, you had the option of buying it with or without the mailer. Mm. Yes, that was great. Really? Yes. Yeah. What about Seattle Filmworks? That was always a good service. Seattle Filmworks ceased their film processing last year. Yeah. I was sending stuff to them up yeah. until last year. I was doing stuff quite and regularly. They're with notorious them. in the late 80s and the 90s that they had a special film that was just their film, special process. Couldn't, get, couldn't be developed anywhere else. Yes, it was a special SFX something right. processing, and they were re, re-spooling motion picture film. Wow. I tried that a few times. That was Seattle Filmworks. Right? Yes. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. I, I tried shooting it, and it was very odd stuff. Yes, they would give you prints and slides if you wanted yes. them. Yes. And it had a very weird colored bias to it. Right. Oh, uh, here's an answer to a question. One person online asked the question because Seattle Filmworks used to offer prints and slides and Dale Photo Labs in Florida offered prints and slides. And recently that stopped. And someone asked online, why can't you get prints and slides anymore? Kodak stopped making the film. There was a special film that they made so you can make slides from a negative. Really? Yeah. And they, they ceased manufacturing that because... <clears throat> Years ago in the 90s, remember those, John, right? No. Our friend Carl Petrie, he used to hire us. He hired John and myself to mm-hmm. shoot legal depositions. That's right. And because I was a film photographer and always, you know, always with my cannon around my neck. Hey, Mike, uh, I have this. So he had a job for me, 
it was shooting. These uh, neighbors were in a dispute over a deck. <laughs> and uh, uh, one deck, I, when I saw the deck, John, it looked like the boardwalk in Atlantic City. It didn't really. It was huge. The deck was monstrous. And the deck hung over the property of, an, of the neighbor, which was down lower. So if you're standing on the massive boardwalk deck, you could see in every window of the neighbor. Oh, really? So the neighbor filed a lawsuit against this, this property owner who built this monstrosity deck. So Carl asked me to go, for legal purposes, shoot the massive deck. Mm. And he's like, I need prints and slides. Wow. And back then I was using Seattle Filmworks. Mm. So I went with my handy-dandy Seattle 200 or 100 ASA film, shot it, sent it off to Seattle, and they sent me back my prints and slides. Mm. How convenient. It was very handy. What, we, what happened with the deck, do you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbor torched it. Carl Petri told me that he found a, a UFO site. D- you you know that Carl's into UFOs? Yeah, he was telling me he was. What, part what, of how do you know Carl Petri? I know him from uh, from um, Psycho Sisters movie. Oh yes, Carl Petri was one of the producers of the Psycho Sisters movie, and Carl shot all of the stills mm. on the set of Psycho Sisters. Extensive amount. Extensive of amount of stills. Too many. You think so? <clears throat> yeah, there's thousands of thousands them. Thousands of them. Pete came in with a book that was jam packed. Like, you but he told go me he would go on onto sites and he would look for UFO people would hire him and take a team of people mm. to go to a supposedly UFO site. A hot spot. A hot spot. And he would say, you know, this one was bogus. And he goes, then one day we actually found one. And I'm like, really? how do you know? How do you know that a UFO sat there and somebody didn't just, you know, mm. make a, a mini crop circle in their backyard in the lawn? Because yeah. no, we have all, this, all these devices that, that check for certain things, I guess like radiation or something. I don't know. And he was convinced the UFO landed in this guy's yard or something. Yeah. And you never know, do yeah. you? While these guys are talking about UFOs, I'm opening you up a pack of Fujifilm no. 100, FP 100C. FP. It's a color pack film. Because I'm going to show these guys. We're talking about plastic cameras today. Yeah. I'm going to demonstrate to these guys yeah. a Holga 120N. That this, thing is huge. This is a Holga 120 camera that I uh, bought a Polaroid back for it. And actually purchased the back from oh, look at that. the folks at the Impossible Project. No kidding. Now, the camera itself is not very big. This is the camera. The back m- makes That's it... That's the Polaroid back. Yeah, the back gives it uh, substance. Yeah, well, yeah. Baby's got back, I'll tell you that. So I'm putting in a pack of uh, film. Well, Mike is doing that. This is, this is an actual UFO photo photography reference. There's a magazine published in the 1960s by Life magazine called UFOs... Uh, it was like serious, no, myth or hoax or something mm-hmm. like that. And there was a guy who had all these photographs of UFOs and they finally figured out he was a, it was a hoax because this is how he did it. He would take a pane of glass and put it up against, like you're looking outside and you right. see the sky. And he would take a light, a lamp, that he would fashion into the shape of a UFO. And he would light it and he would get the reflection of the UFO in the glass. And then he would just shoot through it. And in the 1960s, people, you know, they didn't, they yeah. weren't really hip to all that, I guess. Manipulation of uh, images was not that big. No. And this guy was like, look at this UFO flying over my neighbor's house. People say, oh my God, we're being invaded. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and he would just circulate all these photos that he, that he just, you know, he made all these funky lamps that looked like flying saucers and people mm. bought it people bought it that they were being invaded by ufos no, it was crazy. amazing gentlemen and ladies there is nothing practical about a holga camera i'm just going to say that <laughs> nothing practical nothing why? and i will tell you why there's nothing practical about it and and for most part it really would talk about from the hip i mean from the hip this is the polaroid back you can't look through the eyepiece anymore so that you have this piece mm-hmm. which is Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And you can't put the Holga flash on. Because the eyepiece. Because the eyepiece gets in the way. So since 
The eyepiece is a parallax. And well, doesn't... you have to use that to your advantage now, don't, won't you? I'm not going to look through the eyepiece. No, you don't. That's the beauty of shooting with this now. Now, I'm also using my famous technique that you've seen on YouTube <laughs> of me <laughs> holding a Koken close-up filter in front of the lens. Mike, you're as analog as you get, and I love it. Really? Yeah. 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 Really? I dig it, man. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, this camera, it's, when you see the image that comes off of the Holga with the Polaroid back, because when I purchased it, I really was expecting, not crisp, hmm. but not, not something this wacky. Right. So I'm going to shoot John right now. Great. I'm not looking through any eyepiece. I'm just, I'm just winging it, man. You got that big microphone in front of my face, though. So it's okay. Yeah. My nose isn't my best feature. I now pulled a... Uh, and, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry. What kind of film did you load in there? Well, this is, uh, Fuji, Fuji now makes the film that uh, Polaroid used to, you know, have the, their <coughs> patent on. It's a uh, pack of Fuji FP100C. It's the only manufactured film for Polaroid pack mm. cameras. Uh, we're standing here and waiting. how long you have to wait? Based on the temperature. Really? Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, What's your guesstimate for this For this? About 35 seconds. It's quick, right? What happens if you leave it on longer? Well, the great thing, you know what, John? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. The Fuji film is self-terminating. Oh, okay. Meaning, Ooh. yeah. You're fired. I am? Oh. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you're out shooting, first of all, it's a pain in the butt to like peel the film out while you're like trekking around mm. shooting outside. Yes. The Fuji film, you don't have to peel it. You can just stick it in your bag and oh, peel it later. That's good. So, oh, nice. Let's see what this yielded. What if you peel it too soon? <laughs> I'm bozo the clown. Like, what do we got? I, I probably need to diffuse the flash a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, it's a little hot. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna diffuse the flash. But hot. it's interesting. No problem. I mean, it's almost like a pinhole. I mean, it's there's areas that are exposed and areas that are completely black. Is it is it sharp, John? Uh, the microphone. Yeah, the spots that are not overexposed are, are pretty sharp. Is that the way I really look? I need a new haircut. I need a new hairstyle. So, have you shot with a Holga before? Never. Never. You Never. got it, Dwayne. You got it. Do you have no. one? No. I'm gonna. I want one. Well, Christmas is coming. I'm gonna. We're gonna try this again. Because I was so close to John's face shooting this, I blew him out a little bit. I over overexposed John a little bit. I have everything. I ripped your matte paper. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ready, Dwayne? Should I do this? Yeah. Turn the flash on. Put some diffusion over the. You have a piece of tape? Yeah. Oh. Look at you. You're totally old school, Mike Grasso. Wow, who would have guessed? Uh, the, the button he has right there. It's quite a procedure. You have to get really close, Dwayne. Why don't you just use it without the diffuser? Because you, you, you need the diffuser. This. No, you need it. Why? Because that, just... that's, our, that's our exercise. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. How close are you going to get? Yeah, that close. That's about right. Oh, nice, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, you've, you're, you're familiar with that, right, Dwayne? Oh, yeah. Can I pull one out? I never, yeah. ever pulled a Polaroid out of a back like that. Right here, shoot my, John's going to shoot my picture. Do I have to crank it? No. There you go. This thing is light. It looks huge, and it weighs nothing. Let's get him really close. Okay, lean over. Just lean Where's over. Where's the uh, flip the switch? Here? Yeah. yeah. Strangers in the night. Okay, this is exciting. It's changing glances. Don't yank. Oh, did I do it too soon? No, must have. What do you mean, don't yank? There you go, you got it. That's it, good. Yeah, well, geez, you scared me. Oh, now what? 
kind of stuff. Well, keep going. Keep pulling. There you go. You did it. Hey, all This right. is John's first time using a pack film camera. Now, John, John's exposure came out a little light. Oh, look at that. And Dwayne asked, well, is it, it was a little underexposed. But I did a, what's known as a transfer from the negative side of the film to a piece of paper. And it looks phenomenal. That's awesome. Wow, look at that. It's great, right? Will this continue to develop? Or that's no, it's done. It's done. But I could uh, scan that. So you did it too soon. Too yeah. soon. Well, no, it's 35 seconds. It easily. Where's the other one? The one you just took? I don't know. Maybe not. Oh, right here. I didn't open it yet. I'm afraid. Oh, John's afraid to I'm open afraid it. I'm afraid to open it. I don't want to do it too soon. I'm going to open it. Yeah, do three pitches on there. I'll bring it home for the kids. They can light it on fire. <laughs> That's pretty funny, John. You may have a good one here. Whoa, look at that. So what... Do, what <laughs> that looks like... It Mike Grasso sings the blues album yeah. cover. We need a shot of Dwayne. <laughs> now we're going to get a shot of Dwayne. Got to do something with your mic. Like, you know, something fun, something wacky. Look at that. I love that. You love it. It's John like you're singing in a spotlight. It, yes. The you Holga, know? when you have it's the like a spotlight. Yeah. When you're using the Polaroid back, you're not, first of all, it's an adapter, so you're not getting the whole frame of the film. And then you're getting that, that vignetting, extreme right. vignetting. Extreme, yes. It's a pretty crazy image. I mean, it's very, it's a, it's a one-trick pony, but it's a pretty good trick, I'd say. You know what happens? Uh, yeah, you may think, well, you know, I'm, I'm using the Holga camera with the Polaroid back, and it gives you one type of image. Mm -hmm. What happens is, after a few weeks, you put it down for a few weeks, mm. and then before you know it, you you pick it up again because it's 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 fun. You know, because if you know you're at a party or you're going to be with a couple of friends to do like a whole series of pictures like that is pretty cool, I think. Now, I, what I do is when I peel the film, I take the negative side and I immediately apply it to a piece of paper, rub it with the back of my fingers, then peel it off, <laughs> yielding what's known as a Look Polaroid transfer. You could Google Polaroid transfer. The Google. Look like a faith healer. <laughs> <laughs> James, Jimmy Baker. Jimmy Baker. Now, the Holga... D Dwayne, that's, that's a great t photo of you, man. I love that. <laughs> the Holga, using the Holga with the Polaroid back is, is, is nothing more than fun. It's that simple. Mm. It's just a lot of fun. And we just had a little round table, passing the camera around, shooting. Yeah, this was fun. It's just fun. This was better than Scrabble. Get together and pass around the Holga instead of playing a game of Scrabble. On the subject of plastic cameras, I will tell you that FPP listener Emily, mm -hmm. who Emily... Won the Olympus Stylus Epic a few months ago. Yes. Donated the Polaroid camera that we gave away with the Pat Sansone book. Yes. But that's not all. What else, Mike? Emily. Yes. Gave us. Emily gave us what? Emily sent us a plastic camera to give away. Oh. And this is our next giveaway. It's the vivid. I mean, you may look at this and be like, Well, gosh, Mike, you know, it's just a point-and-shoot plastic camera. So what? Hey, yeah. Mike, what's up with that? It's only a point-and-shoot camera. What's the deal with that? Mike? Yeah, but. There's a, a Camerapedia page on this camera. There is, is, is that, a Camerapedia is, page? There's a bunch of cameras that have, like, minor, what I call cult status. Mm. And this is one of them. Emily, I'm singing your praises because she's didn't just send the camera. She sent images, prints, mm. with the camera so we could demonstrate mm. of how cool the camera is. This camera, this is from the Camerapedia.org. What is it, like a panorama? Yes. The Vivitar PN2011 is a cheap plastic camera designed for 35mm film with a fixed focus, a shutter of 1 125th of a second, and an aperture of f8. It fits into the toy camera category. 
It has a 28mm lens. The camera also has a panoramic mode, which crops the 35mm frame to a panoramic aspect. The mode is optional, and there is a switch on the camera to switch back and forth. What is fantastic about this camera and this giveaway is the fact that it's not just a camera, but it's a camera that Emily was kind enough to de- to, to shoot some stills. Right. And so she, she very nicely mounted them on black boards yeah, also. Did. Nice matting. So it's not like we're just giving away any old camera here. No. This is Emily's camera. And she sent some samples, which will be online on our show notes. And if you'd like to win the Vivitar PN2011 panoramic 35mm toy camera, just send an email to mm. us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com and give us your name, mm. I think uh, your address, yeah. and a little bit about who you are. And we'll be drawing winners for this camera in December. Uh, I think the uh, stylus also has a panorama mode on it, doesn't it? I don't think so. You sure? I'm not sure. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very cool. Oh, Thank you so much, great. Emily. Yeah, All thanks. Right. So anyone out there interested, send us an email. I want to talk briefly about a, a camera that I, I never knew existed, and I don't think it has any cult status whatsoever, but I bought a Polaroid camera online, and many of the cameras that I buy that are Polaroid cameras online were from estate sales, mm-hmm. where, you know, I would say an elderly gentleman owned them. These cameras were used in the 1960s, and many of these cameras are impeccably packed in their in their case yes i mean they're original 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 leather case with all the accessories like a flash this that so probably minimally used this this package i don't know if it was minimally used but is kept impeccably clean Mm. and in the camera case there's a top area where you could put film and whatnot this gentleman tucked in a plastic camera a 35 millimeter plastic camera came with the auction and it's called a Mackay. M E I K A I. And <laughs> look at the number on there. It's what is it? Is that it's a serial like number? It's 120. So is that it's, a serial number? It's what a 4353 SSN. And at first you think, well, you know, this is, what, what does this mean? Does this mean anything? It's like, looks it, like they gave it away in a box of cereal. Yeah, th- this does mean something. Like there are a, a number of cameras similar to this with different numbers. I looked up the uh, camera amazingly on the web via the Google. The Google. This camera, Mackay Cameras, was made by. Togoto Optical Company Limited, hey. established 1930 wow. by, by Masnuri Nadasuka and named after Admiral Tugo of the Japanese Navy. And uh, I'm just shocked. Now, I think this is probably a sad camera in their arsenal, Dwayne. I found this on the web. It says the Mackay 4353 SSN. Look what it says, John. Plastic piece of crap? Question mark. <laughs> so, I mean... Uh, is it? Uh, this this is from this, this is this is from Lomography.com. The person who posted this did not leave their name, but it says I found the Mackay four three five three SSN sitting shrink wrapped in a bin at my local thrift store. Hmm. Uh, he bought it for three dollars. I learned that from both slightly inaccurate instruction booklet and some searching that the camera is a common vein of fake SLR cameras that were often given away as prizes. Yeah. You have uh, apertures. You have six point three eight or 11, or 16. Uh, it has a fixed shutter speed, well, which we think is like 1 25th of a second. There's a shoe here for a uh, it's flash. It's a hot shoe for a flash. How do you open this piece of crap? Sadly, we're not giving it away. <laughs> this is my camera. This is my camera. It really has the feel of a complete piece of crap. It does. But the thing is, Dwayne, a camera like this is everything that a, a, a lamography camera is. This camera probably has light leaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably yields a not-so-good image. And what John's doing right now, John's trying to figure out how to open it. This is how you usually open it, isn't it? Yeah, you could try and lift it. Um, no, you're going to break it. I'm afraid to. No, probably it feels like it has some uh, give on it, but it's such a piece of crap. I don't want to break John's it. John's calling it a piece of crap. One of the, mo- the common uh, uh, complaints about... You're right. There's a little bit of give to go. About See? cameras like this... 
and cameras like the spectacular uh, Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim. This. When I acquired this camera, there was film in it. Oh, there was. There was a roll of Kodak 100 in here. We got exposed. It was a few shots were exposed. I shot the rest. And I just sent it off to uh, Dwayne's. Oh, I want to see what was in there. Yeah, so do I. That's known as, I call it, found film. Now, one of the biggest complaints about plastic cameras, uh, this camera and something like the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim camera, mm. is very, the Ultra Wide and Slim. Ultra Wide and Slim. <laughs> ultra Wide and Slim. Which is not manufactured anymore by Vivitar, but now is made by Superheads. Is the, the, the film, crank. The film wind crank. The film wind crank on these cameras are so plastic. Yeah. And when, if, you, if you use 35 exposure rolls, it gets a little tough. Yeah, they like break. Bust it. Yeah. They, they bust. You have to be very dainty and gentle with these cameras. Yeah, because they're a piece of crap. Yeah. Do you know I mean, a, that really is just a light. I mean, it's like not even good plastic. This is a crappy camera. And look what it says on the lens, Dwayne. New optical lens. <laughs> we <laughs> don't put any old optical lens on the camera. <laughs> Brand new optical <laughs> Okay, so far, here's what's in the running. Oh, this here, Russian clunky here's your, thing. Here's your scorecard. The book, Plastic Cameras, by yeah. Michelle Bates. The Vivitar. Mm. Where, where, the, where did the Vivitar go? The, the toy camera Vivitar. The, Viva, the Vivitar PN2011. And now, donated by Dan Domi, our friend Dan Domi. Ooh. Hi, Dan. Dan, you should come back down to FPP when Dwayne and John are, when Dwayne and John are here. John is a, I would call you an audiophile. Yeah. John records. John always tinkering with audio. Yeah. He'd probably have a blast. He, he could enlighten me on a lot of things if he's going to school for it. Man, I'd pick your brain apart. Months ago, Dan uh, gave me this camera to give away, and I didn't give it away because I was enamored by it. This and? is the Kiev 6C camera. We've uh, passed this around in previous podcasts. Here you go. I'm yeah, I have a good it. picture of you on my iPhone with that. That thing is insane. It looks like a 35-millimeter film camera. It's like as big and clunky as a Bolex. The Kiev 6C, letter type 6S. It's a medium-format SLR camera. By the way, we're giving this away, folks. Okay? Oh. Now, there'll Did be you a buy this on eBay? Oh, Dan Domi gave Dan it. Dan Domi donated this to us to give away. This is a medium-format SLR built in the Arsenal factory in the Ukraine during the Soviet era. The design was based closely on the popular East German Pentacon 6. Yeah. Oh, you busted it. Oh, shit. Holy smokes, look at that. It has a removable viewfinder. You didn't know that? No, I did not know that. Whoa. So now what? So you can just look down in there? You're not you can actually take... look at the focusing screen if you want to use it like a Mamiya RZ or RB. Okay. This is a pentaprism finder. It's a mirror finder that turns it around so you can, uh, so you can use it like this. Uh, uh, oh, my God. That's Dan, awesome. Dan, uh, Dwayne is taking your camera apart. <laughs> In a way that it was meant to come apart, though. Yes. The lenses are interchangeable with Pentacon 6 mount. Original lenses were not coated, and therefore mostly suitable for black and white work. The Key F6 uses cloth focal plane shutters and supports speeds 1 1,000th to 1 2 of a second, as well as B bulb setting. You should know, because I've been tinkering with this camera, not like Dwayne as I've been shooting with it, the, uh, the flash mode does not work. The flash, the PC socket, does not work, unfortunately. What's the name of the manufacturer? Cool. Kiev. It was made in the Ukraine. That's pretty cool. It's a cool camera. And not only that, if you're out shooting with it and you develop some kind of problem, you could use it as a weapon. <laughs> you sure could. That's for sure. It man. is this a thing heavy. This is complete contrast to that little uh, piece of crap we were just talking about. If you would like to win the Kiev 120 TLR. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really cool say. camera. No, I don't want it. Send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. The Kiev 6C <coughs> in the header. If you're entering any of our contests, please put in the header the uh, camera you would like to win. And please don't send 
one email, I'd like to enter all three contests. <laughs> we, we pick the winners old school. You print them out and, and rip them up and put them in bags. Yeah, we put them in bags or boxes and then we we'll go chicken, chicken, Isn't there chicken, like, chicken. you know, like an email thing that you could do? Just well, pick it, computer. John Fideli is bringing up a very good point. He's like, well, can't there be a more sophisticated, updated way to enter Well, this contests? is about film and it's analog, so we'll do it the old school. We'll have a new site launched, hopefully in December. And maybe there'll be a way to, for people to enter online through a box. Mm. Well, that would be interesting. And then there'll be a, a note section, like, tell me about yourself, yada, right. yada. But right I'm now, from ju- Oregon, and I like <laughs> film noir. <laughs> I see a book of the month. You do? Book of the month, book of the month. Time for Dwayne's book of the month. Now, we usually talk about specific photographers' books, but this is kind mm. of a how-to book. Oh, well, in complete contrast. A how-to book on? If you ever want to go out west, you want to go to Arizona or you want to go to Utah, mm. this is one of the best guides I've ever seen about the really cool places to go yeah. and uh, advice about what kind of camera formats to use and what kind of lenses to to use in actual places, the time of day where the light is best. How many times do you go really? to a book where the guy says, you know what, you should go there in the afternoon because the light Never. is best. And the book is called Photographing the Southwest, Volume 1, A Guide to the Natural Landmarks of Southern Utah by Laurent Martre. It's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-M-A-R-T-R-E-S. And he did a book on uh, Colorado, a book on Utah, and a book on Arizona. I love these places. I like going out there to take photos. So, uh, you know. So he documents the time of day that he's taking yeah, photos? Yeah, like, like he breaks it down into different sections, different national parks, different areas. He describes the roads that are there, mm-hmm. the how, driving directions to specific spots of interest, oh, wow, that's cool. the times of year, and the times of day when the lighting is best. To ca- it's primarily geared towards color photography and digital photography but it's perfectly applicable to film as well. In fact, he has a section in the book describing if you shoot film, Mm -hmm. how your approaches to landscape photography might be different than if you use digital. Really? And I'm just en- enjoying reading this. I-, I read about it on a couple of online forums, and people said, you know, if you, if you go out there and you like to shoot those natural places, uh, you should really get this guy's book uh, because he goes into great detail, like I just described, about how to do it properly. And it's so much fun reading because he has great pictures that he took in there. You can look at it if you want. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, man, these are crazy. When did you uh, acquire this book? Tell me about. I when got you- this book about, I'd say, a month ago, and I read maybe four or five pages exactly. a day. It's amazing. It's I mean, pu- you would have to wait for a specific time of day to take. That's a Mesa photo like Arch that. at sunrise. Yeah, you'd have. And describes like, you know, the lighting is this way because of, you know, it, it was at sunrise, the light was direct, it was bouncing off of a particular rock face right. and it illuminated this rock face this way. Crazy. And he describes how to use reflected light, how to use direct light, how to yeah. use diffuse light. If you are going on a vacation to this part of the country and you're interested in doing some serious photography or just don't know where to go, mm. like, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to the Four Corners region of the American Southwest and I'm clueless as to, as to what to shoot other than the usual places, he goes into a a fair amount of detail about kind of out of the way places and again like you know the different kinds of focal lengths you might want to use the different kinds of times of day the different kinds of light that are available and it's, these are all digital photographs uh he has a mix in there i think he started photography a while ago while he was shooting films well but i think he shoots primarily digital now really gorgeous images so that sounds like a fun thing to do man pack a lunch because he tells you how long it takes to get there how long it takes to get there and what time you should get there for if Road you conditions. like this. I mean, that's like awesome. Utah is one of the few states in the country where they have a network of roads that are not paved. Mm-hmm. And people who live in the east kind of can't fathom that. Like if you want to get to that town, mm. the road is a dirt road. 
Right. And it's kind of a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because it keeps up a, a kind of a sense of wildness and wilderness mm. to an area, which I think no, it keeps the integrity of it intact. Yep. But it's 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 bad because if you're used to driving in a car on the Garden State Parkway yeah. at 70 miles an hour and all of a sudden you're confronted <laughs> with a dirt road and you yeah. drive a passenger car out there, you get stuck. You can get stuck. Yeah, you're, you're out there. Is it true, do you think, Dwayne, that uh, GPS systems could fail or direct you in the wrong area? He recommends taking well, a GPS you, with you, but also bringing a topographic map yeah. or at least a really good map. I was just going to ask about that because um, the coordinates, the longitude and latitude, mm-hmm. that will help you get to the spot regardless. It probably is not, uh, it's not like a regular GPS will tell you to go down this road, go that. It'll just say, if you want to get to that location, this is the direction you go in. Right. And the assumption that a straight line route is feasible yeah. is, is incorrect because yeah. there may be gullies and sandy washes and things like that, right. which are, would get you in trouble. Well, we have to go because the GPS tells us to. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and woo. Yeah, and that's all. So over. I mean, it's it's a starting point, but a map is the way to go. Yeah. Having been out there twenty times or so, I mean, the map, a map, you definitely need a decent map, and yeah. ask local people. Hey, you know, this is where I want to go. I know it's forty miles on a gravel road to get there. And I guess the most obvious question: Should you bring a gun? I would, I would say You're yeah. You're out in the middle of nowhere. I would say yeah. Maybe I'm just a New Jersey paranoid, but... You've, you've watched The Hills Have Eyes too I've much. seen too many stupid horror movies, hostile I was in Shenandoah National like Park in Virginia with my wife, hi- shooting and camping and hiking, and there was all this hubbub with these rangers, and they said, yeah, we just found these two girls in a tent ah, see? off the Appalachian Trail, stabbed to death. Yeah, and there was that other thing and a while like, ago know, where people died in the national park. It was a, a young girl, and then they found her mother's body later. So I would say bring protection with you, or bring a friend, a big hulking professional wrestler type Should I bring Vinny with me? Dwayne, will you hold up the book so I can get a shot of you? Sure. We're still having fun with the Holga, by the way. Dwayne, is this a new book? Can you buy this on like an Amazon.com or in a You can go to Amazon. You can go to eBay. I think it's in bookstores. It's a relatively new book, I would say, within the past year or so. And what is the name one last time? Well, he has... Th- a couple of different editions. This particular one is Photographing the Southwest, Volume 1, A Guide to the Natural Landmarks of Southern Utah. And plus, you said he's done other editions for other states? He's done, I believe, Colorado, I think New Mexico, and Arizona. Yeah, Colorado would probably, if he's, I would love to see his book on Colorado. Have you ever been to Colorado? No. I've driven through it, but never, you know, stopped and done stuff. It's a beautiful place. Oh, wait, I was in Colorado Springs, actually, uh, at a corporate event. And we did whitewater rafting, which was oh, a lot did of fun. You? We had did underwater housings for all our cameras. Two of my friends from high school went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Did they really? Yeah. Gentlemen, we're going to talk a little bit about Kodachrome, and I will tell you why. Kodachrome, give me the Nascrum camera. I love to take photographs. My mama don't take my Kodachrome away. In 2010. <laughs> We've talked about Kodachrome in the past many times, and now it's November 2010, and we have less than two months to shoot Kodachrome. Over the last few months, I've been giving away rolls of Kodachromes to FPP listeners with, uh, as long as the folks out there listening will guarantee that they're going to actually shoot it and send it to Dwayne's for processing mm-hmm. before December 30th. I've been parting with my personal stash. We are now at... How much no- do you have left? We are now at November 19th, 2010. How much stuff do you have I, left? I, I don't have a lot left, but I probably have a little bit more than I'm actually going to be able to shoot. All right, why don't you give me some? Yes, I will give you some. Okay, I'm just saying. You don't have to get upset. Absolutely. Thank you. If anyone out there, at this point, so late in the game, I would suggest that you be in in the United States because by the time I ship it overseas... You folks are not going to get it in time to get it back to Dwayne's by December 30th. We should talk to them and see if there's any chance of them, like, extending it. Well, you're excluding New Zealand. Uh, Yes. Dwayne's, as of right now, is saying if it's not on their desk by 12 noon, December 30th. Wow. 
that that's it. It's a hard line. Yes. Yeah, so right now it's a hard line. No many fans are butts. Many people have asked, will they extend it? That's a great question. I guess it really depends. If they uh, get an influx in the month of December, I bet they will. Don't you think Dwayne has to do with chemistry? We were talking to Scott D. Sabato at the um, Kodak booth at the PDN show, and he mentioned that it really has to do with the chemistry. The chemistry is very, very expensive, and it mm. has to be re- used, cycled through the machinery on a regular basis for it to remain up to specs to adequately process the film. And so to all of a sudden extend it, they probably would have to go and order and uh, new chemistry, which they probably didn't do. They'd have to uh, recalibrate other machinery, which they probably don't want to do. Mm. They're probably just geared up to call it quits. They got the chemistry. Yeah. It's going to be gone. Sounds like an involved process. The, the equipment is done. They probably made yeah. probably ma- already made room for where they're going to yes. put. You know, it's over with. Plus, if they extended it, could you imagine the frenzy? It's going to the confusion, Dwayne. People screaming in the streets. How, how long before the uh, Impossible guys pick it up? No, no. <laughs> there there have been some posts on the web about. It. Hey, man. Where's that, uh, you know, where's that Kodachrome machinery going to go? Where, where's that processing going to go? Uh, I guess it's, Dwayne, I guess it's possible that someone would pick it up, a small shop, but unlikely, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think the discontinuation of Kodachrome has as much to do with the chemistry as anything else, and they probably said, you know, we're not going to get the chemicals anymore right. either. So that's it. Mm. So if you're out there and you are in the U.S. and I can get you a roll of Kodachrome, uh, then please do send me an email, filmphotographypodcast, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com, and I will gladly send you a roll of Kodachrome. You will need to ship it to Dwayne's and get it processed. That does cost money. It's about $10 per roll uh, and about another, I don't know, $4 or $5 to ship it back to you. Uh, I have a letter from Larry Hatcher. Larry uh, talks about a park in... Southwest Utah, called the Kodachrome Basin State Park. Well, number what, one, what? I've been there, and number two, let's look at a photo of it. Would you wow. read this? Would you read this? I'll read it while he's okay. looking for the photo. It says, I love the podcast. I have listened to all of them via the archive. I keep having these moments of wanting to add something, like the character Arnold Horshack on the old TV show, ooh, Welcome Back, Cotter. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> exactly. Carter. I keep wanting to raise my hand and shout out, ooh, 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 ooh. Mr. Carter. Anyway, I thought I'd pass this along. There's a state park in southwest Utah named Kodachrome Basin State Park. A hundred years from now, some child will ask the park ranger, what is Kodachrome? And the ranger will answer, the finest color film ever made. I've been to Kodachrome Basin State Park. It is off of Scenic Byway 12, I believe. Thanks, Larry. In uh, southwestern Utah. And it's just, you know, one of many, many, many parks there that have beautiful uh, kind of hoodoos and spires and, and red rock formations. And uh, I camped there one night with my wife, ex-wife. Beautiful place. <sighs> did, you, did you shoot anything? No, I was, in, I was in a hurry to get to Zion National Park, so I just kind of used it as a stopover point. And I didn't really, I didn't have this book we just mentioned mm. with me at the time, which goes into detail as to what there is to shoot there. So I kind of just, uh, you know, it was in. I did not shoot anything, but I wish I had because it's a beautiful place. We should get together there in December to the cold chrome walk. On the site, go over to our YouTube channel. One of the most recent videos is uh, an instructional talking about a very common question about shooting with expired Polaroid film. Since Polaroid announced the end of Polaroid film in 2008, there's been an amazing amazing surge of people going Polaroid crazy. Now, I am the last person in the world you would ever think would be on a Polaroid binge. Seriously. I mean, I I didn't have much of an interest in Polaroid. 
I never had much of an interest in Polaroid cameras. How long have you been doing this for, what, a year now? Yeah. Going out, all out on Polaroids. All out on Polaroid. And Dave Bias and Florian Caps from Impossible Projects have the same thing. They're like, you know, when, when we were growing up, and it was like the 80s and the 90s, Polaroid was uncool for the longest time. Because it was just the camera your dad had. Or, you know what I mean? It just was, there was nothing cool about it. Everything old is new again, you know? And only after it was gone the people start picking up these cameras right. and realizing just how cool they are. So one of the biggest questions you see, and people are very uninformed, and they need to know this information because I've experienced the pain of this. When I'm buying expired film, how expired is too expired? Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, tell us. Well, I'm going to tell you guys. Also, how to test your cameras at a, if you're going to a yard sale or you're mm -hmm. going to uh, buy a camera on eBay, how do you know the camera's going to work? Well, buying expired film on eBay, expired Polaroid film, if the film is, if the expiration date on the film is pre-2005, there's going to be a good chance that it's just not going to work. Because you see so many lots of film on eBay at still very high prices, and I don't care where it was stored, if you're going to buy a lot of film on eBay, especially if it expired 1998, 1999, 2000, 2001, there's a very high chance that the chemical packs in the film are dried out hmm. and that the battery in the film has expired and will not work can't replace the battery you cannot replace the battery because the battery is uh is in the film packs like you know i can never resist taking a picture and i've experienced a lot of grief buying older polaroid film so i'm telling you this from personal experience that look if you buy a pack of film polaroid film 2003 2004 maybe it'll work but for the most part i'm gonna take a shot of uh, john or Dwayne with a Polaroid camera. Here's a, here's a Polaroid. Here's a Polaroid one-step camera with a film that expired in January of 2007. I can hear that the camera's sort of struggling for the flashlight to go on because the film pack is old. That's a good stance, Dwayne. Can you hold that? It's a very solid, very <laughs> handsome pose. Stoic. Let's get John. John, you look very serious now. That's a nice, nice pose for you. Now, this film is, uh, is fine, uh, but I, I would imagine in a few seconds we're going to see that the colors that it yields just aren't really up to spec. I mean, they're not, they're not even going to be close to the color of the original Polaroid film when it was in. And would you scan those into your computer and muss with them? Well, you can. Would you crop them, Mike? Will they be cropped? Here, I'm going to take a shot with, of these guys with film that expired two years earlier using the uh, defunct Polaroid 500 film. Although there was some good questions about Polaroid on the, uh, on the Flickr boards. Someone asked, can I still get film for this camera? Can I use the 600 film in this camera? Questions after questions. Hmm. Mm. Okay, John. That's a very nice. Uh-oh. Hurry up. It's like a bomb. <laughs> Cut the red one. <laughs> oh, very anticlimactic. What happened? No good. Dwayne's laughing. You have seconds to live, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. We have we have total failure. <laughs> and I will tell you probably why. Because the battery's problem. dead. Yeah, this, this film expired in 2005, this film pack. So Battery we're dead. experiencing some problems here. Let me try again. Take the damn timer off. I did. Okay. I don't know why the timer keeps going on. Busted. You busted it. <laughs> Nothing. So, 
Okay, we just saw a live example of a film pack that failed. It was expired in 11-2005. And generally speaking, I would say that that, that pack would be fine. It's five years old, mm. but you're getting into a risky category. I mean, we were almost in 2011, so yeah. another year has gone by. Yep. So, so you're saying five years max. I'm saying don't spend... I mean, the film is... The, the original Polaroid film is not cheap. Yeah, People what are, are you... spending $20, $30 a pack. People are spending hundreds of dollars on big bulk packages of guys that have, you know, people that, sellers that are selling it in a big box. And because it was stored properly, if it was expired in 2001, 2002, take our Italian-American North Jersey advice. Yeah. Forget about it. Forget about it. Just forget about it. Don't you do it. Don't even think of it. We have a new video on YouTube talking about this. Check it out. It's also on the show notes page. Check it out. Yeah, so... There's my Polaroid advice for the day. And please remember that that new film for Polaroid cameras is being made by The Impossible Project. They have a really beautiful film stock that we discussed earlier, the UV+. Plus. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up. But before we wrap it up, wrap it up. Yeah. I uh, recently won this on eBay. Sometimes I see a camera on eBay, and it's very, very inexpensive, and I just can't resist. And these gentlemen are not going to believe this camera. Is that plastic? This is a plastic Ansco Pioneer. Ansco Pioneer. A, uh, it's known as a 616 camera. It takes 616 roll film. I happen uh. to have a, a roll of film, a brand new roll of film, that expired in 1958. Oh, my God. Uh, Look and at Dwayne, that. Well, this is coat of color, so this is not useful, this film. But I do have some Verichrome pan film. Mm -hmm. And isn't it true that that film is so stable that there's a good chance I could still shoot with it? Definitely. Verichrome pan, according to some people, legend has it, is plus X pan film with a retouching layer on it. So apparently, a lot of people shot plus X pan film for portraits, and Kodak decided, let's put a, a layer on it where you can retouch with a pencil. Really? Uh, yes. <laughs> so people would actually, skilled retouchers with retouching pencils would retouch on a piece of film and you make incredible. the you make the print and it would look completely like diffused and clean of wow. blemishes so that's what Verichrome pen is and that's uh, uh, the first photoshop yeah, and it should, depending upon how it was stored, I mean, it might be a little less sensitive, but um, it should still, it should still, still work. work. It should still so work. I have a, a small uh, arsenal of uh, highly expired film for this camera. This Pioneer camera was made from 1947 to 53 in Ansco's Bingham, New York plant. Bing Binghamton. Yep. Binghamton. Binghamton. It produces a beautiful 6x9 negative or transparency. The film plane is curved and the lens is designed to match the curvature of the film plane. Shutter speeds are uh, 150th of a second constant or a bulb mode and the f-stop is just f14. It's so strange. The thing that was the strangest, because look at the look at the bulb. I looked at that and I'm like... It looks like a, light, it's like a regular light bulb socket. I found... <laughs> Oh, I, I, you put a 100-watt bulb in there? I found a bulb for it. Look at the flash oh, bulb. Oh, God. It's insane. Oh, God. We, it's regular. It's a screw-in. Look it's at it. It's a screw It looks like a light bulb. Okay? And I can tell you guys, honestly, seriously, I'm too scared to try it. <laughs> we have to do like, it right now. Gonna, do you think so? We have to try this right now. Is oh, there film in here? It's going to explode. Yes. We have to try this right now, Mike. I don't think we could aim <laughs> it at you know, something. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like, look at this. All this food I made. Nobody can touch it. No, we have to try this. Can you hold that up so I can take a picture of you? Oh my God, I'm afraid. Uh, just hold up the bulb. Let me see. The camera and the bulb. I'm very afraid. Get kind of close to your face, closer to your face. What kind of lens was on there? Ansco Pioneer, made in yeah, but what, to New York. What uh, F-stop? I don't know. Focal range. I don't know. Well, uh, Dwayne, if you don't mind, let me get uh, a Holga shot of you saying the same shot. Oh I, I must. God. Can you put that near your face? 
Where did you get this bulb from? Closer to your face. It's all speckled in there. That's the filament. Yeah. Filament. That's the filament that's that going to explode. That's the magnesium. <laughs> explode and blind you. That's the you. magnesium filament that's going to explode and right, blind me. That's right. <laughs> I, I really wish we had video for this. I mean, you guys got to see this. Well, first of all, no, no, no. I need to put batteries in there first. Okay. Uh, oh. What should we, should we can't shoot a person. That could just explode. It's a glass. It's the glass. No, bulb. I have these glasses. I'm just going to hold it like this. Oh, no, no, no. That's too close to your face. At arm's length. Not at me. I'm going to turn it around the other way. Oh. And this, if it explodes, will prevent it. Maybe we should put like, uh, oh, you know what I have? Maybe the helmet? Yes, give me from, a helmet. From uh, a breath movie? I feel like I'm at War of the Worlds. <laughs> We're here at FPP doing the most amazing, amazing uh, little project that we've ever undertaken here. It's the Ansco Pioneer from 1947. Here is the camera, the Ansco Pioneer. And, you know, we've talked about cameras like this before. You know, old-timey cameras that take 620 film or... You know, 120 film. This takes 616 film. But the most amazing thing and the scariest thing about this camera is the flash. Because the flash takes a bulb that looks like a light bulb. It's made of glass. And we're all frightened that if we test this camera, I wasn't going to test the camera. Dwayne's like, oh, no, we must test the camera. We must test the camera. We're afraid that we're going to go blind by either the flash or the exploding glass. And I thought, well, you know, my years producing low-budget science fiction films have really paid off. Luckily, I have a helmet <laughs> from the film Bacterium. So whoever the subject matter is going to be, and somehow I fear it might be me because John wants to shoot video and Dwayne's going to be taking the picture. We're going to put this helmet on the subject. We should get Joe Cole back in here. Oh, yeah. He's he should be the one. <laughs> because I have to narrate. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a picture, uh, and the subject will wear this helmet to protect them from flying glass. That we assume. That we assume, if, if of course, the flash even works. But my guess, as I'm, ow, as I'm trying to... It bit you. It did. You see, these flash takes two AA batteries. So, I mean, there is a, a high chance that this really could just completely explode. I guess the glass could just fly all over the place, right, John? I would think so. Tip down. It seems kind of high risk. Do you have any suggestions about do you have any suggestions about uh, screwing the bulb in? I mean, you don't want to screw the bulb and have it explode as you're screwing it in. Maybe use a cloth or a rubber glove or something? That's a good thing. I never thought about that. If while you're loading the the Why don't you put the bulb in then put the batteries in? That's a bad idea too. Well, it's better if it goes off while you're putting in the battery instead of holding the bulb. But there's a better chance that it will go off while putting the battery in because you're doing, you're, you're making contacts. All right. Are you ready, Jim? Okay, we're now getting ready. We're putting the mask from Bacterium on Joe's face so that the flying glass will not damage him in any way. I imagine that the flying glass was heat might ignite his sweater. But no, 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 it'll be fine. Want to hold the camera? Okay. I think it would break. There's the a battery in here? Yes, everything's ready to go. Dwayne Polky with the Ansco Pioneers ready to shoot. Are you ready, Dwayne? I'm ready as I'm going to be. Joe, are you going to look at the camera? No. Okay, ready? yep. One, two, three. It flashed and it did not explode. Look at that bulb. Wow. Thank you, Joe. Okay. So, uh, I, look, so nobody died. <laughs> nobody died. Uh, we have a video. I don't know if we could ever top this show. This has been a fantastic, fantastic show. Most excited. Dwayne, what did you think of this whole experiment with the bulb? Oh, uh, it was touch and go for a while. It was a little, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I uh. fucked up for it, but I think I came out of it at the other end a better person. 
I guess these are made not to explode. And your thoughts on this? It's got to be a coating in How there, right? How old is that bowl? Yeah, but the thing of it is, like, like John was saying, there's, there's chemistry involved in it, and chemicals deteriorate over time, so who knows if that coating was completely shot. Yeah. Uh, this know. bulb was manufactured in the early 1950s. <sighs> it's amazing. Latest. And it still freaking worked. Yeah. That's crazy. Dude, that's 50, 60 years ago. The roll of film that's in this camera was in the camera when I bought it. I'm praying oh, that man. it's Veracrome pan so that our shot comes out. That's How many exposures do you get on a roll, do you know? Uh, I believe uh, eight. Eight mm. exposures. And this many? is the size of the negative. That's insane. It's a six by nine Negative. Now, that's the only bulb you have for that? No, I have a, I have a box of bulbs. Oh, no kidding. Uh, What'd you pay for a box of bulbs? I Most bought out a camera store. Do you remember a few years ago when I bought out a camera store of their 16-millimeter film? I bought a whole library of 16-millimeter films from a camera store that used to rent them out. Cartoons. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. In that uh, lot of stuff was <coughs> all sorts of old-timey bulbs. And Those bulbs were actually in that lot. A case of bulbs. Oh, my God. Because the camera store used to sell the bulbs. Wow. So you lucked out. Uh, I really lucked. That was an amazing auction that I won. I've, I've owned so many 16-millimeter films now, cartoons, mm. westerns, mm. cameras. Yeah. We, this has been a mega show. Uh, I did mega not, giveaway, mega, mega experimental. Mega giveaway, giving away the Kiev, the Vivitar, plastic camera. And the book, Plastic Cameras by Michelle Bates. Don't forget to send your email in. We took a bunch of Holgeroids. Those are known as Holgeroids, John. Are they really? Yeah. Uh, Dwayne is reading a, uh, a popular photography magazine from July. Which year? I don't know. I can't find it yet. With it's a be- old. With a beautiful picture of Jacqueline Bissett oh on the my. cover. Remember Jacqueline Bissett from The Deep? Yeah. Yes. July 68. <laughs> July 1968. And it's such a joy looking at old photo magazines pre-digital because it's just... Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? I love looking at the ads and looking how much, how, how much things cost. Join us next week on FPP is an interview with April Lee Hutchinson. She's a artist, photographer, oh, wow. model great. from London, Ontario. John's showing me some images he took on his iPhone. I have my fedora on, and I'm holding the mic like I'm, like I'm narrating the Hindenburg exploding. The events that have transpired today on the Film Photography Podcast are unprecedented. <laughs> Join us back for the roundtable in December. We're back in our regular scheduled... <laughs> that's great. Our regular scheduled slot of December 1st and December 15th. We're going to be doing more giveaways. We're going to be drawing the winners of the giveaways that we offered today and a lot more. So, Dwayne, I want to thank you. Dwayne is just lost in this magazine from 1968. I'm back. Dwayne, thank you very much for uh, coming to the show. Thank you for having me. John, you're off mic. John's off mic. Now I'm on. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And thanks for everybody for it was uh, just a fun day. For listening. Until next time. Yes, thank you, Dwayne. Until next time. We're just like just sitting here dumbfounded. Because you know what it is? There's too much media. We're looking, we're looking over the spoils of the show here. Over There's shots too much stuff in front. We have all these Polaroids in front of us now. We have uh, John's iPhone. I have a helmet from a science fiction film. <laughs> a Pioneer camera with a bulb that exploded that, that I, you know, I, I'm just, I was trying to, to absorb what exactly happened in the last two hours. Water, food, and pictures of Jacqueline Bissett. It's yes. too much. So, hey, we'll see everyone next time. Bye.
One, two, three, forget about it.